I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Satan, you bow your knee. Satan, you bow your knee. You fall on your face. You fall on your face. COVID-19. week is gonna be a little different from the last week and the week before that then the week before because every week is a unique week just like every- everything's very different yep just like uh, just wow. like our just like our fingerprints and our anal prints this is a unique episode mm. i hate this podcast uh <laughs> wow jesus wow, Brian. that was a really that's, negative way to start yeah, this episode i'm just Brian. kidding this is my favorite a, show ever it's a real big I letdown to kind of hope feel that so way. Uh, this week actually is going to be a little different because we are not going to have a little preamble where we where we joke about and, and talk about what's in the news because I feel like the conversation that we are about to throw to right now was so, is, is A, very important because it touches on um, mental health in a really like, uh, really a digestible and an interesting way. And also, I think an it's an actionable it, way. In an actionable well, way. That's mm-hmm. a good way of putting it. Yeah. And I also feel like our guest this week, um, she was so spectacular that I really just want to put it right up front, like right up, right at the top of the episode, because um, this was a really, really wonderful chat. Uh, we we sit, sat down and spoke with Dr. Emily Ann Halt. Um, she is a, uh, a therapist who lives in the U.S., and uh, is doing some really, really cool work. We dive pretty, like, pretty, pretty headfirst into the world of like social anxiety during the during the times of COVID. And so, um, so I hope you get something from this conversation because I know I certainly did, especially right now, um, where um, you know I feel like I feel like my mental health isn't doing too good. And this conversation with Emily was really helpful for me. And I know that me saying that my mental health isn't doing quite quite good right now, um, I know that I'm not alone in that. And there's a lot of people who are kind of feeling that way right now but because dude, of all of the shit that we've been through in 2020. So, but dude, definitely don't say that. This is a Feel Good Friday episode, and you're just kind of <laughs> bumming me out saying that. Uh, th- I think that's problematic that you say it I, like that. I'm just kidding. Uh, I want to. I want to. I want to talk to you about it. I hope that 
I feel bad that you're not feeling good. Well, whatever. I'll get through it. Uh, but I care about you. Or maybe I won't. I love you. Maybe I won't. Maybe this will just be my life for the rest of my fucking life. Brian, did you dye the tips of your hair? <laughs> yeah, they're frosted. No, you didn't. Did you actually, though? They do look a little lighter. They do. No, look, dude, maybe, it's just, oh, it's the background. It's just getting that vitamin D. Mm-hmm. It does. You got, you, it's a good haircut, though. You look good. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, well, man. anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. We'll come out, we'll come out on the other end of it and uh, have a little chit-chat. Enjoy. I have a question. If you had to describe each of the three of you with one word, what would each of you say for each of you? This is a great. This is a great way to start the show. Actually, yeah, I want to know like what what's the dynamic? What's the deal here? I, I can I start? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll go I'll go first. Taylor, uh, uh, no, I'll start with Brian. Brian, sensitive. Okay. T- Taylor, um, uh, selfish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> me. Uh, bombastic, goofy, <laughs> goofy, <laughs> selfish, and sensitive. I love it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Brian, I would have, I would have, uh, I would have said Taylor's philosophical. Okay. Um, same thing, same thing. I um, infiltrated your brain with my bu- with with my bio earlier today. Uh, Jeremy is verbose. <laughs> <clears throat> verbose. Okay, good to know for this interview. It's a good fucking word. What does that mean? It talks a lot. <laughs> what about this, you, Brian? This is true. Uh. Um, sensitive, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Empathetic, I like to think. Nice. Oh my God, verbose using or expressed in more words than are needed. That is exactly me. That is exactly <laughs> you. I would also probably then say verbose or stick with bombastic for Jeremy. Okay. I would say. Uh, I would say. Oh, I just had it on the tip of my tongue for Bry. Oh, vulnerable. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and uh, for myself. Uh, uh, measured. Nice, love it. Guys, okay. guys I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm a little, I'm a little buttered here. Bombastic, high sounding, <laughs> but with little meaning. Inflated. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jared. I, I do not echo oh, this. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm dude. Shot. You call I'm, me, you Jer- describe me as selfish, Jared. I would hey, also <laughs> say that was your spittin- one word for me. Just spitting hey, truth. I love you, but just spitting truth. Hey, look, I'm not gonna make it a, this all about us, but Jared, I would say that you're charismatic as well. Ah, thanks, Benny. Uh, that's, that's Emily. Right. How Emily, you, Emily, how you describe we, we've been, yourself? We've been, in, yeah, we've been talking word. for two minutes. What would you say about you three? How about asking <laughs> no, at the end of this? No, okay, no. Sure, what, sure, what, what, would, what would you say for yourself? We'll wrap it up for myself. Maybe I'll give three words for myself. I'd say uh, empathetic, eccentric, hungry. <laughs> nice. nice. Okay. Well, we'll keep this short so you can feed yourself. Very descriptive. <laughs> I ate right uh, before. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, Doctor Emily, how do you say? It? Is it Anhalt or Anhalt? Anhalt. Mm, that's in Canada. We would say Anhalt as well. Yeah. Um, Emily, you are calling in from San Francisco. Lovely San Francisco. Yeah, it's pretty a, perfect here. Yeah, it's it really is a, a special place. Um, I, I think like everywhere on the West Coast is pretty special. Mm, though. I would agree. Mm. That's uh, but, true. But San Francisco the most. Uh, we I'm really excited to, to speak to you today because you are. Well, why don't you why don't you let our guests know uh, what it is you do for a living? Sure. So I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been practicing about 10 years, and I specialize in a kind of psychology called psychodynamic or psychoanalytic psychology, which is the belief that who we are and the way we move through the world is very complex and layered on all the experiences we've had. And the type of therapy that I practice is less about telling people what to do 
and more about helping people understand why they're not doing the things they already know they need to mm. do. You know, the ways we get in our own way, all of that. So I've been seeing patients about 10 years, but I also have a big belief in the importance of proactive emotional health. I call it emotional fitness. This idea that most people wait until something's really wrong to get support and that mm. if you think about going to therapy more like going to the gym and less like going to the doctor, then you'll actually prevent a lot of the emotional issues that ends up sending people to get support later on. And, and you know, it tends to be easier to prevent things than fix them. Mm-hmm. So I've spent a lot of years conducting research on what emotional fitness actually looks like. I did a really big research study a number of years ago where I interviewed 100 psychologists and entrepreneurs about what makes a leader emotionally healthy. And I did something called an interpretive phenomenological analysis, which is an overly fancy way of saying that I transcribed all of these interviews and I coded them for themes. And these themes of what makes someone emotionally fit were self-awareness, empathy, the ability to play, curiosity, mindfulness, resilience, and communication. So Mm. I started building out all kinds of content around these seven traits. And then about two years ago, I met up with a woman who's now my co-founder, and we raised money to start an emotional fitness gym company. Essentially, we're opening brick-and-mortar spaces where people can be matched with a licensed therapist. They can take classes on these seven traits, and it's all really grounded in community. So the idea is let's have some visible and accessible spaces where you can work on your emotional health the way you would go to any gym to work on your physical health. Amazing. That is so cool. Yeah, it's that yeah, is really, so cool. It really is. I mean, we've been, that's kind of like we've been talking, I mean, as soon as you just in the first like few words that you said there, you were really speaking our language and and we're not we're not trained psychologists Which is by we any speak measure. Uh, yeah. Uh, and like we have no idea about psychology on a on an actual like on an actual uh uh, smart people, level. smart people level. Yeah. Um, but we talk about it a lot. And one of the things that we've often made comparisons to is proactive mental health and, mm-hmm. and, and, and not, and not waiting until you think that there's something wrong to, to, to take care of your mental health. And it sounds like you've really, you've really built out an incredible process on how you can like actionably do that, which is, mm. which is yeah. amazing. You know, in, yeah. in kind of in talking um, about that idea specifically, um, I, I imagine that, you know, this concept it, to me, it was, it was pretty foreign before we started having uh, like these open, authentic conversations that we, we have on sick boy podcast. And I'm wondering if there was a challenge or there's been a challenge for you in, in, in kind of like educating the market that this is something that is important and they need to be doing because it's oftentimes not something that we think about. So if you're building out these like brick and mortar facilities, is it hard to get people to show up? Yeah. I mean, right now the way people typically engage with mental health is very reactive. Like most people think Mm -hmm. of therapy as something that you do when you're unwell or in a crisis. But in my opinion, it's a little like starting to do cardio for the first time when you're told that you have early signs of heart disease, you know, Mm. like it's never too late to start, but emotional health issues are, you know, easier to prevent than they are to fix. And so our goal is to help people see that building their resilience muscles now will prevent issues later. What I've found is that during a time like this, especially when totally unexpected and difficult things are happening, I think it's becoming very clear to people that being an emotionally healthy person is important. And we're starting to help people understand that, those who were already working on this stuff before are having a much easier time now, 
right? Just mm. like if you worked out a lot and then all of a sudden you're in all of these unexpected races you had to run, the person who was already <laughs> training is going to do better. And COVID, sure. in a way, is like this totally unexpected obstacle course we've all been forced into. That's that, such a great that, may, that reminds me of an article that I read the other day. And I, I, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on this. We don't have to go deep into this because this is really, really silly. Um, uh, but it, the, the title of the article was like, um, fans of horror film tip, uh, statistically seem to be doing better during the pandemic than people who don't like horror. And, yeah. and so the article was like, it sort of has like trained them to be okay in moments of chaos and moments of fear and moments of like uncertainty. I would uh, argue that it's not that it's trained them. It's that the kind of person who is attracted to horror movies is probably the kind of person who wants to be exposed to this fear that they have a lot because it somehow makes them feel a little more in control of it. Right. Interesting. Oh. Interesting. I, think I, I mean, <laughs> when I read that, I was like, fuck, man, that's me. Like, I, because I, I do, I do, there is this sort of like, um, I do feel like I'm in a movie. Like, there is this like you're, excitement. You're moving in this very <laughs> fluid There's way also, right now. I've, I've heard that people who have a lot of anxiety are actually in some ways doing better than the average person. One, because it's like, hey, mm. I've been preparing for this my whole life. I told you all bad things were going to happen. And two, I think <laughs> right. that a lot of people who are anxious, maybe this isn't true for everyone, but for a lot of us who are anxious, I think sometimes we are anxious on behalf of other people. Sometimes we are holding mm. the anxiety for others and other people don't have to worry as much because they know mm. we're going to worry. And with something like this, everyone's worried. And it almost it's like taking some of the burden off the people who used to be anxious when there was maybe a little less clear you know, issues to be right. worried about. I, I, it's almost I, kind of a relief. It's like, great, everyone else is worrying for a change. Mm. I, feel, mm. I feel like I, I connect with that a little bit in the sense that um, I'm not so much worried about myself during this, but I feel um, I feel like a, a certain level of empathy towards people who are really struggling during this time. And I feel like it brings up like I, I can really identify with the feeling of anxiety because I've had like pretty intimate relationships with the feeling in in the past where like there's this like tightness of my chest where I just really feel like my whole body kind of like welling up with this emotion and I get a piece of that in thinking about how other people are coping during this time, even though, you know, personally, I, I feel like I'm I'm doing more or less well, given the the state of the world. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I asked all three of you to describe each other with one word and Brian, you were described as sensitive and vulnerable. And I feel like what you just described reminds me that it's a really hard time to be an empath. Like, if you're the kind of person who feels other people's feelings, there's a lot of collective suffering to be, you know, tuned into right now. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, sometimes it gets to be a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I, you said something when, when, when you were kind of describing, um, describing what, what you do and you were talking about the qualities of, um, and what, what, what you framed it in a very specific way. It was a, around, around emotional leader, fitness. leadership. Yeah. The seven like, traits of emotional fitness. The research yeah. was normed on founders and leaders, but yes. what we've seen is that these are really just the seven traits of emotional health and they kind of apply across any population. Across the board for everybody. And I was, and, and self-awareness is something that self-awareness is something that I'm really, um, interested in what we're, I'm sure we're all interested in. We're all yoga. We all have backgrounds in yoga. We teach yoga. I own a yoga studio. Um, and, and self-awareness and like flexing that as a muscle in terms of mindfulness meditation, um, whether that's sitting down or whether it's like meditation in an activity that you really enjoy and that you can get lost in, um, 
what what are some of the what are some of the ways what are some of the really common ways that you see really work for people um, maybe other than yoga because we talk about that a lot on the podcast um, for building self awareness and flexing that muscle because it can because mm. because it it seems to be something that the world is always just always starving for a bit more of. Yeah. I, I usually suggest yoga to build mindfulness, which is one of the traits. And I define that as becoming more comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. Because in yoga, you're literally put in uncomfortable physical positions and then asked to pay attention to where your mind goes and you know in what <laughs> way you're trying to escape the discomfort, right? But with self-awareness, maybe this doesn't come as a surprise, but I really do recommend therapy. Like I think therapy is hugely misunderstood and stigmatized. A lot of people think it only works if you're really suffering or, or if you desperately need support. But actually, going to therapy when things are mostly good is more like going to the gym. You have more resources at your disposal to understand yourself. And the more we understand about ourselves, the more we're able to live life more with intention. I think so much of what we do is motivated by emotions that we're not in touch with. And so we're out there kind of feeling like life is happening to us. And in therapy, you start to understand the millions of ways in which you are unconsciously manifesting things Mm. in your life to work sometimes against you because you don't realize the ways that you're sort of motivated for things not to go the way you might want. That makes sense. Would Mm -hmm. you say that, would you say that self-awareness and empathy are sort of proportionately linked? Yeah. I mean, if self-awareness is understanding and managing your own emotions, then empathy is understanding and managing other people's emotions. And my experience is that people who are really uncomfortable with other people's emotions are that way because it makes them feel their own and they haven't gotten good at dealing with those. So for Mm. sure, the more we understand, I mean, think of any person you really don't like in your life. I promise if you dig into it, you'll realize the thing you don't like about them is something that you need to work through in yourself. Mm. And as you do that, it becomes easier to understand other people's Mm -hmm. struggles. Um, Brian Taylor, have you guys ever seen a therapist? I have. Uh I, I have. Oh yeah, Brian or Tay, you you did after your accident. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I've I've had a couple of sessions that like introductory sessions yeah. with different people, but I haven't actually really I've, like dug dug deep. But yeah. Tay, I, I know you had like quite a. So Taylor got hit by a car pretty severely uh, about just over a year ago, Yeesh. and um, you uh, ha- like you you were seeing a therapist after that to. I get. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but correct me if I'm wrong. But like to dig into whether or not there was some PTSD from that event and, and to just to manage all of the, all of the stress and emotions that came from that, that, um, that traumatic event that you went through. Um, what me, was that? I just want to throw out there that that seems like a really great way or time to seek a therapist when something really hard happens to you. But mm. what we don't realize is the, you know, metaphorical car we're going to get hit by is around the corner for all of us. And it's well, we're, a lot... We're, we're getting hit by it right fucking now. Right? Totally. Like we're and literally being hit by that car right mm-hmm. now, you know? For sure. And I, I think that trying to find and build a relationship with someone in the midst of a crisis is really hard versus if mm. you already have that relationship going and then the hard thing happens, that person's already really set up to support you in a different mm, way. Right. Yeah. Just, right. just an asterisk on this part of the conversation that I think is important to mention is that um, the re- like one of the reasons why I didn't go and seek further therapy sessions was the cost of it frankly, yeah. like I had a referral mm-hmm. to go once and I, I, I went and then, you know, at $130 a session after that, it just didn't, it, I, and look, like I pay money for gym memberships and I pay money for other things. And so is it like for me personally, who is in the position where I, I, I could afford to do it, it's, it's more of an excuse than it is a reality, but there are people who, you know, mm-hmm. obviously 
aren't yeah. in the position where they can pay for private therapy. Well, Brian, that that actually that's a really good transition into one of our, our questions from one of our patrons who knew that we were going to be speaking to you today, Emily. Um, this one comes in from Megs, and her question is: Do you think how mental health care is funded will change post COVID? It has been a huge mental health stressor, and paying has been a barrier to care. Um, do you think COVID will like have an effect on the way that we, the way that we view paying for, um, for for help in, within the like realm of mental health? Well, I can share what we've seen. So one of the things we're seeing is that companies are a lot more willing to pay for mental health on behalf of employees because it's becoming so abundantly clear that if you're struggling with your mental health, it's really hard to do good work and that no yeah. one is immune to struggling with their mental health. It's not mm-hmm. like a you versus me. It's a we're all in this, you know, seven layer dip of bullshit and sanity together right now. And so we all kind of get it. So there's that. One of the ways we're dealing with it at COA is we have therapist led classes that are on all kinds of topics from living alone during a pandemic to being a more emotionally fit manager to um, dealing with a romantic relationship when you're quarantined, all kinds of Mm. things like that. And they're led by licensed therapists. So you're still having a therapeutic experience, but it's with more people. And so it's a much lower price. That's one option. The other thing though, is it's just so expensive to become a therapist that I think long-term, the only way things are going to change is if it starts to be more possible to get this degree without being a quarter million dollars in debt, which in Mm. the U S a lot of people have to be in order to do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to have to change, but I think it's just becoming so much more clear that it's an everyone problem. And what I'm hoping too is insurance companies are going to start to realize that covering mental health will actually save them money in the long run for physical Mm. health issues because the two are so tied together. Yeah. Talking can you, about can you tell the, us about COA and, and like what COA is and, and what COA tries to do? Yeah. So COA is the gym for emotional fitness, essentially, right? And so we have brick and mortar spaces opening, though, of course, those are on hold for now and we're focusing on a digital experience. And so we do matching for people to help find them the right therapist, because that's the thing. There's a lot of bad therapists out there, unfortunately, and finding the right therapist is really hard. And the relationship between you and the therapist is the most important thing. So we take some of the guesswork out of that. We have matching specialists that help match you with the right person. And then we have these therapist-led classes, and then it's all really grounded in community. So the idea is, you know, what we say is mental health is an individual journey, but it should be a communal pursuit. Like, just like going to the gym, you're going to have to lift your own weights. No one can do it for you. But doing it alongside a bunch of other people who are lifting weights makes it feel much more doable and more fun. So that's what we're trying to create. And so everything is online right now. Therapy matching is only in California for now, but that'll expand soon. And the classes are for everyone, anywhere, anywhere in the world. And they're all led by our therapists and, and a really Amazing. fun, great way to meet other mm. people. Yeah, I really Very love cool. the, I really love, I really love just the, 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 the notion and the effort put into just framing it up just the same way as it, just framing it up as the same way as a physical, physical exercise in the way that in a way that, you know, whether you've been super active your whole life or not, or not really like everyone gets it, like everyone gets the idea of the gym and it's like, and it's, and you know, even if you haven't spent a lot of time there, you know, you've probably tried it out once or twice and, you know, and you, you get, you get it. Well, they and get it now, but think of like 15, <clears throat> 20 years ago, if someone said, oh, I'm going for a run or I'm doing a yoga class, people would be like, yeah, right. Outlier. What? That's weird. That's <laughs> strange. You know, what are you <laughs> running from or whatever? And now people are like, yeah, of course, running. Dogging? Yoga. And that's, <laughs> that's what we're trying to do. Like but my, my goal is in 10 years, people think about therapy the same way they would going for a run or, yeah. or taking a group class. Yeah. Well, that's a really, that's like kudos. Cause that's a, cause that's a, 
it sounds like you're doing an amazing job, but, uh, but un- undoubtedly, uh, a strong headwind, I'm sure that you are facing in terms of, you know, you, it sounds like you are a part of the spearhead of sort of changing the narrative or changing the perspective around how we think about mental health and how we think about mental fitness. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of people into, my th- in ther- into therapy in my life. And I'll tell you, it's never from me talking about myself as a therapist. It's me talking about myself as a patient. Mm. It's like, here's what I learned in my therapy and here's what's changed as a result. And here are the ways in which I feel more meaning in my life and why I'm succeeding more. And here are the epiphanies I've had. And, you know, it's very compelling to hear someone who's mostly doing fine in life share how big of a change they've made. And so that's another thing we're trying to spearhead is can we lower the stigma by just helping people feel supported and sharing their experience and then making it easy for others to follow suit. Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this word from our sponsors. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Did you ever mm. attend therapy before you before you like went on that journey to become a therapist? So I, I mean, I went to therapy as a kid. I've really raging ADHD, so my parents sent me to therapy as a kid to deal with that. But I didn't do the sort of really deep, you know, kind of therapy that I do now until I started school. But when I started, it wasn't because I thought I needed therapy. I thought myself to be very self aware, like. Oh people come to me with their problems, you know. Right, right. And I just started therapy because I thought it helped me learn how to be a therapist. But cut to, you know, six months later, my mind just being blown at the back of my head by all of this shit that I had no idea I was doing and all of these decisions I had no idea were leading to all these consequences I was unhappy about and all these ways in which I was perpetuating the very problems in my relationships that I was bemoaning other people for. And it just gave me so much more control and agency in my life. And I think that's what really allowed me to take this path is I just, Mm. I know it works because I've done it from both sides. It's like really profoundly... Mm life-changing if if you're in a position to do it that way yeah Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like a bit of like the cornerstone of self-awareness in the way that um that uh so a yoga uh, a famous famous yogi who's who's kind of really massively responsible for you know yoga being widespread across the world he kind of published some of the first books that became really popular in the 60s bks anger and he had a popular saying that was like, the moment that you think you know everything is the moment you know nothing. Totally. And, and that... You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And it's yeah. almost like being in a perpetual state of, of needing to know more because you don't... You, because, you, because you have like a really healthy sense of, I don't know enough. Like yeah. I, I, I just... It's, it's 100%. Such a, such a healthy position to be in. And that more like... I, I don't know if calling it an egotistical place, but thinking I know everything and which is like, which is a place where I spent a lot of time in, in my early twenties and my like late, late teens and early twenties. That was like the, my epicenter was being in a perpetual state of, 
I know everything and I and I am the authority and I'm the best sort of state. Yeah, and you don't think that way now. And I don't think that way now. Now <laughs> yeah. I think I'm very small, very small, insignificant. Oh. <laughs> no, but I feel like oh, you know that self-awareness is, it's really hard to achieve self-awareness by yourself. Right. Because yeah. we are who yeah. we are in relation to other people. And what I yeah. think makes therapy so special is the relationship you form with your therapist becomes like a microcosm for all of your relationships. And it becomes this Petri dish where you get to practice and understand and be reflected things that Mm. are really hard to see on your own. Right. I mean, we we are nothing isolated from others and communities. So it's pretty hard to shift without some interaction with others. We've talked to a lot of people on the podcast over the last five years about various uh, mental health issues and and one of the things that like I've I've learned through those conversations is that a lot of people who do seek therapy for their own mental health um, oftentimes go through this process of I find it very similar to like to to, to when when someone starts starts a round of like um, antidepressants or something it's like it, the first the first drug might not be the one that's for you and and it seems to be the, the very similar in terms of finding a therapist like there i've met a lot of people who have gone like ah it took me like three or four different therapists to find the one that f- fit for me yeah um, it's kind of like dating like you wouldn't yeah. go on one date and be like oh i guess sex isn't for me right. <laughs> yeah right, <laughs> you know? right. Totally. sometimes it takes a couple tries yeah. to find a person worth deepening well, the relationship this, with. This is another question for one of our patrons, uh, Kat, and she's asking, what advice do you have for someone looking for a therapist? What should you look for? And are there any red flags? Great, yeah. So, oh, flags, you know, interesting. interestingly, like I said, because the relationship's the most important thing, firstly, I would challenge people not to feel like they have to know in that very first session. Like, it's an unfair mm. standard that on your first date, you should know if you want to marry someone, right? Same thing with a mm. therapist. You don't. It's hard to know if you're going to feel like this is the right person. So I I recommend giving it a few sessions. And you want to feel like when you're in the room with that person that you're comfortable enough to share things and you don't feel like they are, um, you know, talking more about themselves than you or Mm. trying to fix your problems before they understand them. Like that's one problem I have with therapists. It's like if my problems were so easy that you could solve them after talking to me for 20 minutes, I would have solved them already. Right. Like we're very complex creatures. You need to first understand me in order to ship things. My biggest red flag is if a therapist cannot own and meet you in and explore with you your dissatisfaction with them. So that's my number one litmus test is the first time you feel like the therapist got something wrong or it's not going the way you want or something didn't feel good. As hard as it is, I really recommend going and telling them that. And a good therapist will listen and will try to understand and will try to use that as a way to help you understand other dissatisfactions you have in your life. Because if you're annoyed with them about it, it's probably showing up somewhere else in your life. The therapist that's super defensive or even overly apologetic, you know, trying to make the problem go away instead of exploring it, they're not going to be able to get really deep with you later. Like some of the most profound stuff that came out of my therapy was when I was angry with my therapist and she helped me understand, oh, this is something that makes me angry because it's affecting me in other parts of my life as well. And now I have this place to understand it with someone who's, mm. you know, patient and, and won't crumble or retaliate when I bring it up with them. Like how often in our life can we go to someone and say, hey, this pissed me off. You let me down. And they say, let's understand that together more. Like yeah. there's not many places where you yeah. can do that. Mm. Yeah. It would be amazing if you could do that in all of your relationships, though. 
right? I mean, I wish parents could be more that way. Tell me about it. I wish my mom yeah. was more like that. Um, I, <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> I had a, I, I had a Don't question. Don't say that too loud, Brian. Your mother's upstairs, and if she hears you, you know it's going to be a, a whole thing. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's going to be a whole thing. Um, I, I had another question about the stigma around going to see a therapist, and and um, I, I know I've definitely been at a point in my life where you know I've felt that I have things like so perfectly balanced on this like fine like tightrope line where like you know it it's it's like there's all this stress and anxiety around like just barely holding everything together and like there's almost a fear that going to like a therapy session will just have everything unravel like the things that you believe to be true in your life and then all of a sudden you go in and you you explore them deeper and you realize that fundamentally things aren't the way that you have like sculpted or shaped them to be and yeah. I know that seems like a little bit kind of ambiguous. No, you're expressing but... what m- what keeps most people out of therapy and they don't even realize it. Like it's a really scary, vulnerable thing to face things you've been working really hard not to face mm. and to have someone show you things that are really painful to look at. Like, of course, we have hesitance and the part of us that wants to keep us protected is is saying, oh, it's too expensive. You don't have the time. It's not the right time. It's not worth it. And that part is saying, oh, please don't make me look at this really scary, shitty stuff that, mm. you know, I've put walls around. And it's true that sometimes you feel worse before you feel better in therapy because you are undoing some of those defenses in order to look at those things. And I think there has to be this sort of leap in the net will appear kind of faith that on the other side of looking at those tough things is so much more natural balance. And you're not having to just barely hold shit together all the time yeah. because you have actually sort of unpacked the box and figured out what goes where and and what makes sense to continue carrying on with you. So it's true that, you know, it is a little um, unraveling sometimes, but a good therapist should be able to go at a pace that's manageable for you. They're not going to just tear all of your defenses from you immediately. Mm, Right. Hopefully you can sort of integrate as you go. It, uh, it reminds me of Brian, your, your, your description there and then your, and then your response, Emily, it kind of reminds me of some of the hesitancy uh, that, that I've like felt sometimes around psychedelics, like <laughs> around taking a psychedelic, like, Oh, I totally I'm going to go into this. I totally agree. I'm, gonna, I'm about to go into this like deep dive experience and like, what's going to come up? What's going to happen? What am I going to think of? It's, <laughs> is it going to be scary? Is it going to be exciting? Like, Ooh, do I want to go there? Do I want to face that right now? And like, I'm like, you do. Man. Like, to, to, you to do, the night. Man. It's gonna be good. <laughs> sure, you're, I mean, you're adding like, stigma to psychedelics now. Come on. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, but but I'm, I mean, I'm, I mean, uh, while well, I'm talking about them in a really positive way, because I think that it, that mm. is the really positive thing to do. I mean, like I remember speaking about being like really. Uh, really, you know, overly sure of myself in my early twenties, it was going to my first yoga teacher training and sitting in a circle where we all, where we're all about to, you know, say to each other why we're there and like what we want to accomplish and like what our goals are. And, and I'm just like shitting my pants thinking, Oh my God, I have to, I have to say something that means something and be truthful to these people. And I don't know how to do that because I've never really done that before. And, and I'm about to do it and it's really scary and I'm sweating and my heart is racing and you know, like, Oh my, it's, I'm, I'm one person closer to being in my turn. And, and it's really scary to face, to face those things. And it's like, you know, you, you see that in, 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 you know, whenever somebody takes up any new endeavor, you know, like, you know, Brian, I, I want you to come on this group ride on, on Wednesday night. I'm sure that there's a bit of that in you 
when it comes to that. There was that with Jeremy and I when we went to our first jujitsu class, like thinking, oh my God, what's it going to be like when we go there for our first time? This apprehension of the unknown and... I was you know, just afraid. I was just afraid. I was like, I don't want to karate chop someone to death by accident because I, I, <laughs> I don't so know my sure own strength. <laughs> and you know, but. you are very powerful, provided you know how powerful. But you like are. your emotions, yeah, right. your emotions, and like how you, f- you know, your emotions are are I think the same. I, I kind of, I kind of, Emily, I want to ask you. I want to ask you about um, plant plant medicine. I know that like there's been oh, Jesus Christ, uh, we're opening this can of worms. Well, I, I'm, I'm curious right, from, yeah, from, a, right, pro- sure, from, yeah. from a professional perspective, like I I've heard a lot of advances that they've, they've made in kind of research around, um, you know, using ayahuasca, for example, in spiritual ceremonies to, um, mm, to look inside and, and psilocybin, for example, and even in, in like more clinical setting settings, it like, do you have, an opinion or perspective on the use of plant medicine in, in um, proactively taking care of your mental health? Yeah. So I, I think there's huge potential in it. I actually was part of the um, <clears throat> ketamine trials that happened in California. I saw a couple patients mm. who would have ketamine infusions paired with therapy, and I saw it change their lives. I, I know there's a lot of potential, all kinds of things to be had. My concern with it is that a lot of people are doing it non-therapeutically. They're doing it on their own and in settings that aren't really safe. And there's this desire to find a quick solution to what is ultimately a really complex problem. And we want this silver bullet that's going to, you know, keep us from having to do the work. And my feeling is that these kinds of medicines are they're medicine. They're not the solution in and of itself. And so my mm-hmm. belief is that if you're going to do them, it should be paired with therapy of some kind so that you can process the realizations you're having. Like stripping yourself of all your defenses and being forced to face really tough shit is hard. And, and if you don't integrate it and if you don't figure out how to move forward with it, I think it can be more damaging than helpful. So <clears throat> I'm a believer, but I just think it's important that it's done in the right setting and with the right support. Mm. Cool. I, I mean, anecdotally, uh, anecdotally, anecdotally, an- anecdotally, Mm-hmm. Yep. Anecdotally. Yeah, you, if you would have just uh, uh, owned it right from the beginning, it was totally it. fine. <laughs> no, wait, we'll fix it in post. Uh, anecdotally, I, I, so I'm someone who, who has, who, I, who you dabble. Take, yeah, I take part in psychedelics quite regularly, and and actually, as of as of late, like quite recently, I've I've been, I've been questioning personally, like, am I, am I, is this what depression feels like? Like, am I? am I dealing with depression perhaps? And, um, and this is not, this is not like, a, I'm, this is a full disclosure right here. Like what I'm saying is not, uh, I'm not condoning anyone to do this. This is like my own journey. And I feel very comfortable in sharing this and comfortable in doing this myself because I know myself, I know myself enough that I feel comfortable doing it. But I, this past weekend, I, I was like, Hmm, I think I maybe I'm depressed. I'm going to take a bunch of psilocybin and, go explore like what that, what that is. And, um, and oddly enough, I came out of that experience with so much more clarity where I went, Oh yeah, no, you are, you are, you're not okay. And like you need, you like this doing, trying to like figure it out yourself isn't going to work. You need to see, you need to see someone now, like you need to see a specialist. You need to see, a professional who can actually like talk to you and help you through this. Um, like this isn't some temporary, you're just sad for the time being kind of thing. Um, but for me at the, the use of psilocybin was very helpful in making that clear in, yeah. in, in, in finding that clarity and going, wow, yeah, no, you're like, you need to take the next step. Um, 
anyway, that's just a little personal note. Speaking of my own mental health and my own struggles, uh, I'm going to ask you a question, Emily. And uh, feel free to send an invoice to Lauren after this uh, because <laughs> I'm looking for some therapy here. Um, uh, so I, I, don't, I know the U.S. is kind of um, a bit of a shit show when it comes to COVID. Um, I'm not sure uh, a little, uh, <laughs> a but touch. up here in Nova Scotia, uh, things have, things that we're doing quite, quite well. Like we're on our, we're on our fifth day straight where we had, we've had zero new cases. And, and before that we were, we were, I mean, there was like, we had a good 20 days with no new cases. So it's like effectively right now there's no COVID in Nova Scotia and people are starting to get back out into the real world and to socialize and, and, you know, uh, cafes are opening up and, and restaurants are opening up. People are living their lives. Um, I live with cystic fibrosis, so I, I, I'm immunocompromised. I, like, during COVID, during the peak of it, like, I was, I was locked up, cooped up in my house. Didn't go anywhere aside from walking my very loud and obnoxious dog, who you might have heard panting just a moment ago. <laughs> um, and so I recently just started getting back out into the world. And I'm a, uh, I, I would like to think of myself as like a really social, um, like the fellow said earlier, boisterous, um, uh, nope. uh, no, bombastic, meaningless, pointless words, whatever it was you but said, but, I, anyway. but I'm, 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 a, I'm a pretty like social person. And, um, and so my first outing, my, my first time back out into the world, I had about six friends that said, Hey, do you want to come to the beach? We don't know, like, are you, are you cool to go back out into the world? It, if you are, we're, we're putting the offer out. And I said, oh, my God, I would love to. We all go to the beach. These are, like, really close friends of mine. And we all get to the beach. And I arrive. And the only way I know how to describe it is, like, as, as an actor, this, would make, this will make a lot of sense to anyone who's taken an acting class. But I, I was sitting there on the beach going, like, the way I felt was, like, what the fuck do I do with my hands? Like, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to how to socially interact with people that I like that are super close to me. And I was like, is this social anxiety? Like, am I feeling social anxiety? I don't know how to interact. I don't want to talk. I feel very uncomfortable. And I'm surrounded by people that I love. So I guess my first question is, is that it? Does that sound like a form of social anxiety? And if it is, is this like a temporary is this something to be expected as like a temporary thing to go through because I'm adjusting to a new norm or, or could the result of being quarantined for so long actually produce like legit long lasting um, social anxiety or something of the sort? Yeah. So I'm going to avoid diagnosing you because I'm not your therapist. <laughs> oh, but, uh, I'll speak to I the, almost had her, guys. I almost I'll had her. <laughs> I'll speak and, and, to the greater question, which is, you know, I think we're all in fight or flight mode right now in a way. You know, there's no playbook mm. for this. None of us have any idea how to handle a situation like this. It's not happened exactly like this before. I think human beings can handle a lot. But if there's one thing we're really not good at handling, it's uncertainty. And even still, as we're reintegrating or you are people in where I live should not be yet, um, there's still a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknowns. The other thing is, I think that there's reason to be anxious right now. Like five days right. with no new cases does not mean there is no more COVID. I'd be worried if you sure. weren't worried at all, right? Because mm -hmm. we should still be vigilant. We sh should still be thoughtful about keeping ourselves and others safe. So that's part of it. And then for sure, like normally a lot of our worries about things get dispelled by experience. So like 
let's say you're worried that nobody's going to like you at a party. And then you go to the party and you have a great time. And you're like, oh, I guess I didn't need to worry about that. But if you stayed home from the party and you sat around worrying, then that anxiety never gets confronted and dispelled. And so Mm. sitting around at home all the time and not having any experiences to counteract our worries can sometimes solidify some of these narratives that we tell ourselves and not give us counter narratives to compare our worries to reality. So I think as we're easing back in, we're having to remember to let ourselves test some of these things. And then I'd say, actually, some of these worries are warranted. I don't don't think it's time yet to let go of all anxiety about COVID. And so that balance in that dance is really complicated and looks different depending where you live and Mm. on your own, you know, immunity and uh, community and all of that. Mm -hmm. One of the things I kind of think of uh, when I hear that, when I hear you share your story, Jerry, um, I just got out of two weeks of isolation here on the weekend as well. And we went and and had like a a gathering with some close friends uh, at another friend's house. And and I felt all day like like I was feeling some level of like social anxiety, and um, um, I but I didn't feel that in the morning when we were heading out there. I biked there with Taylor, and when I'm when I'm on a bike and when I'm moving, I just feel like it's easier to like you know engage in conversation and 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 just be myself. And and for for me, there's been this level of like tying. I've always kind of like paired my mental health with my physical health. So um, I know that my experience isn't isn't the same as everybody else's experience, but uh, I went through a bit of a depression and I was not eating well. I was not getting enough sleep. I was not exercising. And when I started to do those things, it it had this really positive impact on on my mental health. Um, So I want to kind of bring this back to you, Emily, and, and ask about the connection between our physical health and mental health and and at COA, is that something that you kind of talk about and, and prioritize in, in taking this more proactive approach to managing your mental health? Oh, yeah. Big time. The two are so connected. I, I think when someone feels depressed or anxious, the first thing they should be asked is, are you sleeping? Are you eating well? Are you exercising? And I'm not saying it's, you know, it's, it's correlation, not causation, because it goes in both directions. When we're depressed, it's harder to get ourselves to exercise. But when we don't exercise, it's also easier to get depressed. Like these things actually really do make a big difference. So that part's important. And I think any kind of proactive, healthy lifestyle involves both things, emotional fitness and physical fitness for sure. Um, so that's definitely part of it. At COA, that's just part of the conversation always. Any Anything you're trying to improve, you should be asking yourself questions on both fronts. The irony, though, and the tough thing about it is, again, one's really hard to do when the other one's not going well. Mm. But if we can kind of push past that activation energy, if we can just summon enough to get ourselves to make that first step, it will often have a big ripple effect and will make anything else we're trying to do for ourselves easier. Is there a, just a bit, just kind of build off that question there, uh, Briar to piggyback off it. Is it, is there something in the presence that is offered by, by physical activity that when I, when I think of, when I think of, um, you know, like similar to Brian and Jeremy and I, I've had, I've had spouts of, uh, of, of anxiety and depression in my life, you know, not, not long lasting, but, um, but have definitely, but, have, but definitely I'm familiar with the, with the feelings. And, and I, and I, and I remember the feeling of being like really just not present when I'm, when I'm feeling like that, I'm, I'm, I'm either looking back or I'm looking forward and there's a worry or something that's present. That's, that's in me that is keeping me that almost like tethers me to that feeling. Mm. And where, 
when you are, and I'm thinking of, uh, I'm thinking of Stephen Kotler, who has done a lot of work on flow, flow state, and the how engaging in physical activity sort of it it turns off the part of the brain that is concerned with, or or I guess it brings kind of brings down to a um, to an idol the part of the brain that is concerned with organization and timekeeping, and you find this incredible clarity in the presence of being active, like physically active. And it just provides this, like, is that, is that something that, is that something like in that work that is, that is clear? Like, is that a scientific, is that something that can be scientifically spoken to? Or is that sort of abstract, like, huh, I wonder, or I think, and maybe. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of studies that dive into that because are, you know, I think there are a lot of people who feel similarly to you, Brian, where it's easier for them to think when they're moving. Um, but I think the reverse is also true that there's a kind of presence we can get through emotional fitness work that makes things like physical fitness a lot easier to do, mm. right? And there's Ooh. so many ways that we're trying to avoid feeling and exercise is sometimes one of them, actually, like just as it sure. can be used as a way to get present, it's also a way to get away from things. Mm-hmm. So I guess my advice is generally attack from both angles, like get more comfortable being uncomfortable with your feelings, sitting in a room talking about them and get more comfortable being uncomfortable, moving your body and feeling all of the stuff mm-hmm. that gets stirred up when you do that. The the last thing I want to say is, Emily, can you please um, prioritize Halifax as a city uh, that, you, <laughs> that you establish a brick and mortar facility? We will get because, there. Yeah. We have our eyes set on having COAs in every major city. I mean, you walk down the street, you see all these gyms, ground level, and that signals to you working on my physical health is important and good and accessible and, you know, smart move. And there's really no equivalent with mental health. And that's what mm-hmm. we're trying to change is we are creating a brand around really solid, proactive, ongoing mental health care. So we will get there. And in the meantime, join our online classes. They're all free right now. We've decided to make them oh. free for a little while just to try to serve the community during COVID and to help people understand what kind of work this is. They're all led by licensed therapists, and you can do them from anywhere in the world. You can find them at joincoa.com, J-O-I-N-C-O-A.com. Well, uh, Dr. L- Dr. Emily Anhalt, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today to chat with us. And before we wrap it up, uh, one word to describe each of us and go. Uh, yeah, so I asked... I asked these guys to describe each other in one word, and I <laughs> promised to do the same at the end. So let me think. Brian, I think I'd say your word is endearing. Oh, Just so thanks. sweet and uh, kind, it seems. Um, let's see. Jeremy, I would say yours is... I like charismatic. I think that's a good one. I suspect that you have fun talking to people and draw people to you in that way. I'm bombastically charismatic, really. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see, Taylor, I would say yours is like whatever a, a positive slant on confident would be. Confident in a good way. Seems like you've figured something out and you're happy to share it. How'd Beautiful. I do? Those great. I think that was pretty damn it. good. Taylor, Maybe. I'm surprised you didn't say, I know. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> hey, man, hey, when I was 21, I would have. <laughs> uh, Emily, thank you so much. This was really, really fun. Thank you all. You're lovely humans. I'm excited to uh, dive more into all of this and, and to stay updated, hopefully, on how you're all integrating emotional fitness into your own lives. Absolutely. Thank you. Man, Emily is the coolest human mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Also, also kind of nailed it with the uh, with the the one word for each of us after just sitting down with us and talking to us for like forty five minutes. But we didn't yeah. use we didn't pick one word for her though. Uh, Smart. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. You're right. Do you want to do that? I now? was going to say intelligent, but you want to do yeah. that now? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So uh, Lauren just said smart. Brian, you said intelligent, or do you want to change it? Um, you guys go, and maybe I'll change it before the end. Okay. Taylor? Uh, hmm. Endearing? Mm. Man, you stole my word. I literally guys, said that in the, ch- in the group guys, chat after. I was like, wow, what an endearing guess. All right. That's, I'm, I'm, she's, that's the word she used for me, though. Right, well, so I guess you it's can't not use that can't word. Use it. Yeah, I got to come up with a better one, Taylor. Sorry. Yeah, I would say insightful. I'm going to say relatable. You know, she felt like she was. She felt like someone that I could like. I could sit down and have a uh, have a couple brewskis with and feel like I can relate to this person. Yeah, <laughs> and you could <laughs> also, hey, you know what? Tell if, her all if, about if, your mental health, and she might be able to help you, and probably and charge, charge me some money for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you if you have a word to describe. Uh, Emily, and you're listening to this, and you want to uh, send it to us, just put it on Twitter and tag her in it. Yeah, good mm, call. You can do yeah. that. Yeah, that's good right. idea. That's a really good idea. Um, yeah, I felt really interesting about that. That like that that business. That I I mean, it was pretty crazy. The first few minutes of that conversation, like we've been we've talked about that in like a in a theoretical way for five years. Talk about whole, what? Like, what do you mean? Pre- proactive mental health. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Doing things that make you more which we I don't think we ever use the word uh like mental fitness but um but that's what we were talking about it's it felt it felt like it felt like the conversations that we've been having yeah in theory for the past 5 years were put into this like really uh really like tightly um thought out package that is and the result is mm-hmm. like a is like a business that mm. helps that helps put that into action yeah, for the public. Yeah, it is really cool. She she used specifically she used the, the term emotional fitness, but but yes, I, re- I really uh, I really I really like that idea. And it, and I could see like man, it would be really neat if that I if 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 Koa like takes off, you know, and we and we have these like these emotional gyms or these or these mental gyms that that kind of pop up um, in our neighborhoods. I think I mean I I really like. I just think that that's just the bees freaking yeah knees. she really she really had me at the word gym you know as soon as i heard her say that i was like i can't lift a lot i can't wait i can't wait to lift some emotion oh i'm just feeling like i'd like to get in there and do some reps got some emotional gains <laughs> just yeah, some got reps some of eye sweat coming out yeah. Oh, yeah. emotional fitness <laughs> got some eye sweat coming out otherwise yeah. you know in in lesser circles known as tears <laughs> yeah that's for the emotionally unfit. At the, at the emotional gym, we call it eye sweat. No, emotionally fit people cry more, guys. Come on. Um, That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, you're you're yeah. working out your emotions and you're getting that eye sweat going. Yeah, totally. Yeah, unless you're, unless you're like our guest that's coming up in a couple of weeks where uh, they don't have tears. So, ooh, spoiler alert. Little ooh, spoiler. A li- little just teaser. A, a little teaser for you there. Um, so yeah, it, and you know, it's, I, I, I kind of alluded to this at the beginning, but like, I feel like this conversation with Emily was very timely for myself personally, because, um, like I've been I, m- mentally and emotionally, I haven't, like, I feel like I haven't been doing okay. And, and I, I, it's like, I really, really recently have come to realize that I, that I've been, that I've been in full denial about that. You know, like I've, I, 
It's so funny. I was having this conversation with Bridie, and I think I actually mentioned this on Turn Me On, but Bridie and I were talking about it. And I've I always I always picture like the idea of um let's use depression, for example. I've always thought of depression as a as like a tangible feeling. Almost like a almost like a almost like a physical pain, right? Or it's like if you are if you are in uh, in a in a real deep funk, a real deep depression, you feel it and you know it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm, I think I'm start like I I might be, and maybe that's totally true for some people, but I I'm starting to realize that like it it can be a really sneaky mm-hmm. thing, and and well, it can even be like it, like a, Jared, do you identify with the the feeling of like I think of two words, I think of. Uh, Malaise, mm. like a, just like a general, like not really like. Can you put a little more emphasis on that, Bri? Malaise or sounds malaise like it would be really good on toast. Does that malaise? Yeah. You guys like malaise? Malaise, mm. malaise. Um, but the the other word would be apathetic. You know, like you just yeah. don't really, you just yeah. feel like a lack of caring. Uh, I'm asking you, Jerry. Like, do you like? <clears throat> is it more like you feel like the sense of just like general like? Let me put it this way. I so. We, 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 as the podcast, the four of us have like just recently received some like pretty exciting news for, for, for us, for the podcast. And we'll, and we'll probably like make an announcement in the future of what that is. And it's like, it's essentially like one of the, one of the, one of the most incredible things that, that has happened like in, in my lifetime. And, and when I think about what what is cur- what we're currently going through and what's happening with this thing that I'm referring to, I think of like the the words that come to mind are like like deep pride, like pr- like feeling really proud mm-hmm. and feeling really like accomplished and and excited and happy. But in reality, I couldn't give a fuck. I couldn't. I could not give more of a fuck. There's such a lack of excitement. There's such a lack of like elation um and that and like that was one of the things when i made that realization where i went whoa man i'm not a, i'm not i don't think i'm okay um mm-hmm. so like yeah i think that like and then and then it's like you know look like the house like i'm here by myself and and i i mentioned this on term on the other day too but like i i went the th- we we I went away camping and then I met up with you guys at uh, at Jeff's uh, cottage out in Bridgewater, and while I was gone, my mom was taking care of Bigby, and she came to the house to like get some meds for Bigby, and she must have like done a deep clean to the house while she was here, and it wasn't until I returned that I realized how like how much I let the house go, you know, like in terms of like just like mm-hmm. living in like in fucking squalor. Is that is that mm-hmm. does that make sense? Living but in squalor. If you didn't ask that question, I would have just we would just we yeah. okay, let's keep. Yeah. I'll cut it out. Yeah, well, totally. It, we'll, living, fi- we'll fix it. Living in, in squalor. Got it. You know, so it's um, and it's like I didn't. It's like and until the, until I caught, came home and went, what's different here? Oh my god, it's clean for the first time in what seems like a long time. So I, I you, yeah. Anyway, but it, but um, but Jared, did like. You're you're acknowledging this now, so yeah. Um, I'm curious if there there was like a moment where you had this full realization that like it, oh shit yeah uh, like, yes or, or, there is 
when I went camping this weekend, I allegedly took almost five grams of mushrooms. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, I, I took those mushrooms like, with the intention of going, hey, I feel really sad. Maybe this will be, like a, maybe this will be a good way for me to kind of come out of that. And oh wait, did we actually talk about this in in Emily's? We did, yeah. We okay, did yeah, in this, right, right, in this yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so, so but, that, well, it, we that, didn't, we didn't, we didn't talk about it explicitly, right? Like, so, you so it mentioned was, that sometimes, you yeah. It was, it was that. that. So I, so I took yeah. mushrooms on the on the weekend when I went camping with the with the intention of going, hey, I'm, like this will be a fi- this will this will fix me. And really, what it did was it just gave me clarity and going, oh, this isn't going to fix me. Like I'm I, I'm. I'm making the realization now of how muted and how like how I've been going through the world like where it feels with 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 mm-hmm. what feels like where like I'm wearing glasses that have no color yeah. you know like um philosophical question for uh for Lauren and Taylor as well um like how do you guys feel hearing Jer say that about taking mushrooms as like a you know catalyst to kind of like open his eyes to the fact that he was in this depression um, I, only because I think like, Hey, yeah, like I, I hear you that man, if that can help, that's great. But then also I kind of think, well, fuck, is that also, is that a coping mechanism? Because like you're feeling so, I'm going to use my word apathetic, um, towards life. And then you're just like, well, fuck it. Hopefully this helps. And you, you take no, it. No, it wasn't like, a coping mechanism. It was a, I went in, I went into that experience with an intention of digging into why I feel the way I feel. And then when I came out of it the, on the other end, I went, Oh, and I made some like realizations. It wasn't a hey, I'm gonna like I'm going to I'm going to get fucked up this weekend. Like that's that wasn't. I see a, what I see what you're saying though, Brian. I mean, like I I know like I know that um like and the the trouble the trouble is that the trouble is that I think everything anything that can be used as like um therapeutic or um. Uh, or helpful can also can also be a coping mechanism. Like you know, if you've ever heard people that are like people that are that are always talking about their problems in this like, and mm. and they, it's it's like it's under the guise of vulnerability and like openness, but really it's like a woe is me. Like yeah, like like pour that pity on me. So mm. like that's sort of, like like so we talk about how vulnerability is really good, but. And it is more often than not, but sometimes it can be used as a coping mechanism. Um, I feel like I under, I really feel like I understand, you know, and I hope this doesn't, isn't insensitive to you, Jared, but I feel like I really understand what you're going through because I feel like I've gone through a very similar situation or like, you don't know me, dude. You don't know me. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, I feel like there's so many similarities in the, in the period of my life where I at the time didn't know I was in a depression, but in hindsight, I recognized yeah. that it was, and it was probably like yeah. a six month period yeah. and what it was, the catalyst for it, which I would, I would probably bet is the same catalyst for you is a massive change in your environment. Yeah. And, and yeah. so like I went to a boarding school in high school and like the first five months that I was there, it was like, I went to class, I went back to my dorm I did my homework. Maybe I went to sleep. I went to hockey practice. I came back. I went to sleep. And that was like, I still sleeping all the time. And like, that was my routine. Didn't really socialize that much. And it was, it was like some relationships that like pulled me out of that. And then 
it wasn't until we started doing this podcast that I actually realized that I was depressed during that time. But it was the change of environment from going from living in Halifax, all my friends, my environment, complete change of my entire world living at this boarding school in the U.S. And and I'm I would say that that's, you know, it, I would say that in your situation, Jared. I mean, like you know, social friends all the time. Like yeah, like you have a you have a really great social circle that you spend a lot of time with, and all of a sudden like cold turkey mm-hmm. you're you know in your house all, all all day you know like nothing but digital like digital means to communicate with people and you know i feel like i feel like i know that feeling and 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 i hope that both you know your 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 like exploration with mushrooms to be able to like have that clarity and that realization that you need to you know have conversations maybe with a therapist um, and also the fact that things are like gradually, gradually shifting to where like, you know, hanging out with yeah. some friends isn't, isn't like a, a strict no, no anymore that things might start to, you know, Shift. change for yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. It, evolve, it kind yeah. of, it kind of, um, is like, because like I also totally like the, the reason I was more so playing devil's advocate when I asked that question, because Jer, like I totally, you know, my experience with psilocybin for example has has also kind of shown me some profound things in my life and i believe that in in almost in like the same sense that this conversation with emily was was about like taking proactive care of your your mental health i find that you know doing a doing a decent dose of psilocybin on an annual basis is is a way that i take um proactive care of of my mental health yeah but like also you know referencing something else Emily said in the podcast, um, you know, it, plant medicine can't be used exclusively without using yeah, that you know, other therapies as well. So it's yeah. like, Hey, like, and, and Jared, like, look, we've, you know, we've had conversations off the podcast about this lately, but like, I know that you're also looking at, um, talking to a therapist again too. So I know that you're not just doing, it's not like you just took a hero's dose of no. mushrooms and we're like, all right, I'm fucking good now. Like no, I no, know now no. it's, it's not like that at all, no. but I mean, my, but my, I do my, co- that, my like, coping mechanism is my drinking, you know, like, which is what I've been doing for, for uh, quite a while now, you know, like mm-hmm. drinking, a, you know, drinking like a fair, a little too much, a little too much drinking, you know? And, and like, that was like a coping mechanism for, for like, quarantine and now it's Mm -hmm. now and then you know and then it was like pouring over into coping mechanism for quarantine and and like loss of relationships and 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 uh, you know whatever like frustration at 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 like the the state the state well (laughs) don't get me me started about fucking (laughs) apple right now um, yeah. but yeah, but, drive, but, him, drive that, him to the drink yeah, right away. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that, that like, is that, I mean, I, I like, I've heard you say in the past a few times, like, oh man, like I think I might be drinking too much, but like, I say that, that I is, say that a lot, but at this yeah, time I really is, mean but, it. And, and, so, and, 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 and the funny thing is, and this isn't really, not really that funny, but like, I'm curious, did that, did that come out of, uh, taking the mushrooms? Were you like, oh yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. 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 What, like what type of, you know, when you, when you have a realization like that and you have that sense of clarity, is that, is, is that enough to like 
go, oh, fuck, well, I need to, like, I actually need to action this now. Yeah, like, so, I've, yeah, so I've, uh, since, and do you feel like you have? Since I, since I, since the weekend when I had that trip, um, I've stopped, I've stopped, uh, I've stopped anally funneling beer. So that was, the one, I was, that was the one thing that I was that like, was, I need, like, that was the problem mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Every time I would come in, so you just asked me to hold it and pour while you were yeah. like holding that yeah. funnel between yeah. your cheeks. And I so was now, always, yeah. I was you got a concerned. great back arch though. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, no, but there's nothing funny about alcoholism. It's a, it is a, a serious problem for a lot of people. And, and, and it's not, I don't think it's a serious problem for me, but, but it, I'm definitely like, I was definitely using alcohol well, as a, as a, as like a, as a coping mechanism, like like to to a very light degree. I'm not getting, I'm not getting drunk every day, but I'm also not, not drinking hmm. ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's like, you know like I'm having a dr- I'm having at least a, a couple of drinks, a few drinks, seven days a week consistently. Mm. Um, and I don't think that that's I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's having a giant effect on my on my ability to get things done or or be productive or like what have you, but it's definitely having an effect on my energy, you know, probably having an effect on my sleep and my sleep apnea. And so and like and so in all these like all these secondary ways where it's it might be having a slight effect that that I'm thinking that that adds up and it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like I'm not optimized. I'm not feeling optimal in my body. And, and so, there's also dude, a if, you had a, if you had a whoop strap, you'd fucking oh, know. For, dude, that would <laughs> that would actually would be fuck super helpful. Sakes. Not even kidding. <laughs> but they, there's got to be. There always is a. There's always a period of. There's always a gap between the realization that you need to make a change and actually making a change. Like I think of. Oh fuck! Sorry, you said I, gap, and I heard gape because we were talking no, about the butt chugging. Yeah, no gaping. <laughs> sorry, no gaping. A gap. Yeah. Got you. Got gap. Um, gap. Gap. And like I. When I started, when I started riding my bike again, and really like prioritizing, and really thinking like I want to mm-hmm. ride my bike, I want to be on my bike all the time, and I was drinking like pretty regularly at the time, and especially like on a Friday or Saturday night, and like it just so happens that the most time I have to ride my bike is on like Saturday and Sunday, so drinking on Friday and Saturday became like, well. I didn't change anything for a while. I wanted to, but I just kept on like drinking on Friday and Saturday. And then the Saturday and Sunday would roll around and I'd be like, fuck, I can't ride my bike like I wanted yeah, to. Yeah. So, and it's, yeah. it takes like several iterations of going like, fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before you go, I, I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that. Yeah. And then, so like, and to, and to be honest with you, like, so, you know, the, uh, fuck, I did not expect us to go into this, into this much depth, but, <laughs> but I guess that's just the nature of a conversational podcast. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we, you know, Brian, I, so Brian and I just bought these, like these really high end racing stand up paddle boards and, and Brian finally just got back to Nova Scotia. And so it's like, we, we took him out this week. Like this week was the first time I got out on the water. And like it's that, so much fun. It was it's so much fun. Oh. And it and it was like it was that thing where that the board replaced the the beer. Literally. Like like the the night, you know, it's like we're waking up at I'm waking up at seven AM so that mm. I can meet you at the at the ocean for eight AM. And the night before, when typically I'd be like, All right, time to crack into like four or five tall cans of IPA. Instead I'm going, Ah, that's gonna make tomorrow really fucking like shitty so i'm gonna have two 
IPAs and go to bed at 11 as opposed to, you know, whatever, staying up playing Call of Duty until... <laughs> 3 a.m. Also, you're Brian. Your brother's away, so I don't have any. I, I'm, I don't have the the one person who's committed <laughs> to play Call of Duty until 3 a.m. Um, and I definitely don't know nothing about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it, like it's you're totally right. To, it's like there's it, it like there there's all everything that's that the culmination of everything that's going on right now is is like it's. It's all this this big giant game of realizations, and then and then and then that requires like some some somewhat of of, of a follow through. And so mm-hmm. I'm in that like that crossroad. I'm at that crossroad right now where it's like, okay, do do you follow through or do you just fucking do you just like it's interesting stick with the how, status quo and keep going? Well, it's interesting how as adults, how as adults, you like it. It seems. Like when you're a kid, it's a lot easier to like, to, to like add or subtract things in your life and just to like make changes. But when you're an adult, habits are just so, habits are so ingrained Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. to make a change in no matter what, whether it's like, whether it's something that is, has like negative consequences or not, whether it's just something super trivial, you, you almost need something to put downward pressure on that thing to get to, to, to get rid of it. Like, mm-hmm. the, it, like, because we, we become, we become these creatures who, who really are operating at like max capacity mm. all the time. And there really isn't any room for anything else. And so if one thing comes in and it's something like that, you really, really want to do, it often comes at the expense of something else. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. it's like if you're operating a business for sure and yeah. there's no cash flow, and you want to, and you want another and you need a new expense. It's like, you kind of have to look at one of your current expenses that you want to get rid of to make room for that. Like you just, there need, because you're operating at max capacity. But, um, but I, I do want to know, like Jer, for you at, at this, like you're talking about being at this crossroads, um, like what does it take? What does it take to like actually action change in your life? Like, what does it take to actually? Well, what it would take in this very moment, what it would take in this very moment is for uh, is for my smashed iPhone that I needed replaced to be <laughs> properly fucking replaced, so that I can get a goddamn new phone, Apple, and then and then go on vacation that I planned to start today, which I had to postpone. Um, so yeah, like, uh, just getting out of town and going to see my wife on PEI and, and like, like, like getting away from screens for a little bit. That, that'd probably but be in, that, in, like, in addition to, in addition to like, just like, I just want a phone. You know, I just like want my phone. Change. I just want a working phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah. But, but, but sorry. Like, what, sorry. What were you like, asking? Like there's, there's, um, you know, talking about going on vacation, like obviously that helps, but like, you know, you go away for a week and, and things are different for a week and yeah. then you come back and settle into the same old habits. Like what does it take to to actually change like at this point where I you think I've had this you had this experience I, we, with, we just talked to Emily about with, it. we literally just talked to Emily right. about it I think that's what it is it's like it's 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 setting up an appointment with a therapist who who you can talk to about this stuff whose job it is to, is to help you navigate these these tough moments in life and to help you kind of 
wrap your head around all the shit that that has been stacked up against you by yourself. So, you know, I think I honestly I think like the answer to that question is like to call to call up my therapist and set up an appointment and follow through that with that appointment and and set up a follow up appointment and follow through with that and get into mm-hmm. get into that habit. Um I mean, it, you know, it's got to start somewhere. And, and I, think, I think that it's already mm-hmm. start. like, I think it already has started with that. Again, psychedelics aren't for everyone. But if it wasn't for this past weekend, that experience that I had, I don't think I would be in a position right now where I feel like that is the, the, the next step that needs to be had. Because let me tell you this. Bridie and, and Becca in the last, whatever, I don't know, like a couple of months, both more than once have expressed, hey, you should talk to someone. And my reaction to that is like, is one of two things. It's me either going, yeah, you're probably right. I'll do that. And in my head, I'm going, I'm not doing that. Or just straight up going, no, I don't need that right now. Which is, which is bonkers because it's like, dude, practice what you fucking preach. We talk about that shit on the show like a thousand times over the last five years. So I'm just, I'm uh, like, I'm just being hypocritical. Mm-hmm. We're at, we're, I feel we're at, we're at, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I feel optimistic for you though, because I think that, um, for, for me personally, and probably for a lot of other people, like when I'm going through a really shitty time, I don't know I'm going through a shitty time. It's only yeah. when things start to improve that I'm like, damn because you're just in survival mode you're just trying to get through the fucking day and the and the that you've had that realization and that you're starting to take these steps like yeah it was a shit time and i'm really Mm. sorry that it's been that way but i feel optimistic for you that now things are going to get better because you've you've even having the realization is is a huge step and that yeah, is exactly huge, yeah. what that that is exactly what the experience of doing those psychedelics did for me. Was it re it rehardwired yeah. these like these pathways in my brain that when I came out of the trip on the other end, I, I was able to look back and go, Whoa, dude, look how fucking look how dude. shitty the last like look how shitty the last yeah. few months have been. Look at how you've been feeling. You don't feel as you don't feel it as hardcore as you do as you right now as you did yesterday because you had this experience that actually allowed you to 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 look back and see it and now that i see it yeah it's like okay well i can't i can't just slip back into that same old pattern and mm-hmm. so the stand up paddle boards let's fucking get on that and then and then like 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 get away from get out of the city for a little bit go to pei do that like do, yeah. do these things like take these steps that are necessary to like shift the the fucking the forward momentum that was going forward into the, like deep dark shadows and instead change the direction and go somewhere else. And so that like, that is, I feel like that's what's happening right now. Um, also, I just want to say like, this, this sounds really fucking intense and deep and dark. I'm, I'm in no, like I am in no way. I, 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 I need, I need help. I need like professional help to like talk to someone, but also I'm not, um, I'm not in any place where I'm like I'm I'm going to be of harm to myself or you don't need or to, you don't need else, to like compare you know? it to somebody no yeah to right like I know, yeah, the I know, extremes I know. of somebody I, I, else's experience yeah, yeah. yeah yep you're right 
You're right about that. Yeah. So anyway. Oh, Jesus well, guys, I, feel, I, feel, you know what? This was a therapy. This this was enough. Actually, I think this therapy <laughs> session was enough for me. And I think, All right, I, dude, you're good. I think you're, I'm, you're good, I'm, man. I, I think I'm fixed. <laughs> uh, I just want to say, like, uh, man, this is one of the things I love about doing this. Like, uh, like just to be here talking to you guys right now. Like, fuck this the podcast and that this is a recording. Yeah, and stuff. fuck this so podcast. That, fuck like, this fucking podcast. Like, I'm, right? yeah. I'm just I'm just genuinely glad that like we can sit down and have conversations with each other. Like this, that like ultimately, you know, I think will make us better individually, but also like just yeah, it, it, it's just great to know that the support is is here between friends. Absolutely, I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. and I just want to put a a very very for me personally, my personal belief because it's worked because it's because it's worked so well for me, and we talked about it with Emily. Like I I think that, and I know well. For me, but it could be anything. It, it needs to be passion. It doesn't need to be physical. For me, it's physical because when you have when you have something physical to do, what happens when you have something physical is you're always like meeting, you're always like pushing your ceiling a little higher and, and it's something that you can feel that you can push that ceiling really tangible. Like you're, you're, you're pushing how like you make new PBs and whatever and whatever aspect it is. Like when you hit those, it feels so fucking good. And especially in the beginning of taking on something new that's physical, you hit them so often Mm. that it's just this like constant trigger of affirmation that you are, you are, you can do more than you thought that you are, that you can push the boundaries. Yeah. You just get that whoop strap on and you just, and you're just going PB, 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 PB. Your heart rate variability is going. This is not brought to you. This is not brought to you by whoop. Your recovery score. You you seen that strain go up. You're still recovering. Oh yeah. I, 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 I talk about it in the physical realm, but I do want to acknowledge as well that it can be, like any anything that is like anything that you find puzzles like passion in knitting that yeah like something where you can see the improvement like you can see the 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 like the incremental improvement Speed on a, on a regular on a regular basis yeah i catch butterflies you don't freeze them then do you and then make make like weird like and then frame them? Do you frame them? Hey, no, man, I catch weird. them and I make them bite me to Fra- heal frame, my problem. Framing, framing bugs isn't weird. That's a that's a cool. That's a really neat. Um, that's a neat hobby. No, but you I think you've really offended all of our bug framing. Yeah, but you don't have to listeners. kill. You don't have to kill them, dude. Bugs die. Twenty percent of our audience. Bugs dead anyway. Bugs die. Yeah, you don't have to so kill you can the bugs. Frame bug. some of them, the bugs that are in the grill of my van, and it's nasty. Okay, okay we should well, wrap this one up. Yep. Uh, I think well, it's called etymology. Is I, that what it is? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, actually, my friend Br actually does that. He he pins he pins uh, he pins bugs and frames them. Uh, so anyway, thanks for listening and uh, and uh, 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 I hope you enjoyed that, everyone. And, uh, and I hope, oh, man, feel good Friday. Feeling good, feeling good. Hey, feeling dude, Friday. I know. Yeah, I know we're trying to end this, but just feel good Friday isn't just about like positive conversation. It's about like no, feeling, you know, focusing good. on feeling good, and yeah. and that's taking care of your mental health. So yeah, that's right. very fucking good. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, you, you, you guys, you guys want to, you guys want to come over and do some, uh, just like, just for one last, just for one last, one last, like. Hurrah! Just uh, come over and help me. Before the, what? Uh, before I stop drinking, uh, just to come over and do a little bit about chugging with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Sweet. You still I'll got the, the double. Funnel. You still got the double funnel. I uh, got her. Uh, all right, that's it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Lauren. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.